It's a joy to be here with you this morning in this place. I'm thankful for uh, Meadowbrook, thankful for your pastor, who I dearly love. Um, you know, you guys need to put some weight on him. Do you all eat around here? He doesn't look like a Baptist preacher. He needs a little bit of a belly or something. And somebody take the boy a pie later today, okay? <laughs> he needs to eat. Take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Matthew 14. We'll be in verses 22 through 33. I want to share with you a message entitled, An Extraordinary Invitation. As you're turning there, let me just say, too, how privileged it is to, uh, uh, to uh, say thank you for your support uh, to the cooperative program. You may not know it, but when you give uh, here, a portion of that money goes to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, and a portion of those funds come to Sanford University, and we're grateful for the gifts that are given to us uh, through Alabama Baptist churches all over the state. Uh, the Alabama Baptist Convention is the largest annual donor to our campus, and we're grateful for that, and we know that it's made up of a lot of great churches like Meadowbrook, and thank you, and we're proud to educate your boys and girls for the glory of God. We're proud that we can offer a biblically-based educational format with a Christian worldview, and that's a joy. So on behalf of our president, Dr. Andy Westmoreland, uh, I say thank you, Meadowbrook, and thank you for entrusting us, your pastor who's being trained right now uh, at Sanford University. By the way, he's got a lot of homework to do this week, so y'all pray for him too. He's got a ton of reading he's got to get done, but uh, he's a tremendous leader of this church, and I'm grateful for his friendship. Matthew 14, 22 through 23, this story will be very familiar to you, so I preach it at the risk of preaching a familiar passage, but I pray that you will listen carefully, and I pray that you will hear messages and lessons from these scriptures that maybe will be new to you. I think God has a good message from us today. I pray I'll be obedient to give that. Well, as we read God's Word, it's my tradition to have folks to stand and reverence the reading of His Word. I know you've been sitting and standing a lot, but stand one more time. Someone once asked me, Brother Ken, why do you have us to stand when you read God's Word? My simple answer is this, because there's some things worth standing for. In Matthew 14, verses, verses, beginning with verse 22, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You follow in your translation. It says this, immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell where he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Verse 25, about 3 o'clock in the morning, some of your translations say the fourth watch of the night. Jesus came to them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him, they screamed like scared women. That doesn't say that really, but it, that's actually what the, the literal Greek should mean. They screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus, but... But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and he sank. Save me, Lord, he shouted. 
By the way, that's a pretty good prayer for you to pray to. Save me, Lord. And instantly Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. Why you don't have much faith? Why do you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Verse 33. Then the disciples worshipped him, proclaiming, Truly you are the Son of God. Father, bless the reading of your word. Now God, use me to preach it. Oh Lord, I'm, I'm merely a beggar at the table. But Lord, I pray, I pray, Father, that you would empower this preacher. That they may not remember my name, but they would very much be better acquainted with yours. Help me to die to self. Today isn't about me. It's not about Samford. It's not about even Meadowbrook. It's about Jesus Christ and your word. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak. And I pray you'll use the words that will be shared to change lives for the glory of God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Use it in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. In this passage of Scripture, we find three great lessons that I think is very appropriate to preach on one of the first first Sundays of 2016. I I think that the, the application of this message will go with all of us for the remainder of this year and hopefully for the remainder of our lives. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a storm before. But I have. In my life, I've been through storms, metaphorically speaking, but also literally speaking. I remember very well and will never forget April the 27th, 2011. You heard that I just finished uh, my interim at First Baptist Pleasant Grove. I'm a Pleasant Grove boy. Matter of fact, I'm so much of a Pleasant Grove boy that I was the Spartan mascot in high school. And I did not wear a skirt. I wore a battle garment, just for the record, okay? Uh, and it was a joy to go back and pastor by, uh, in, in my hometown. But uh, my family, we live in McCullough. We live near Taney Hill State Park. I don't know if you've ever been there before. And uh, my family uh, lives in a house that doesn't have a basement. So with all the dire reports that were coming of the weather that day, uh, I made the glorious decision to keep my family safe, to take us from McCall and take us to Pleasant Grove to a safer location. Because I thought my parents' house had a basement. That was probably the smart thing to do. So uh, we did. We got there and we rode out the storm. And, man, I couldn't believe what I was seeing when... Uh, I saw uh, James Spann stand there and basically point to my parents' house and say, hey, if you live right here, why would you carry your family there? And you're in trouble. And we went down to the basement that, uh, that day, and I'll never forget that my family uh, and my, my, my wife, my children, my four children, my mom were in a, a, a corner over there in the um, position with the helmets on and the whistles attached to them, just as James Fan has taught us to do. Meanwhile, my dad and I are standing at the window going, What's coming? <laughs> Men, right? I mean, how goofy are we? But folks, 
What I heard that day changed my life as I heard some of the most horrible noises that I've ever heard. And as I saw the, the garage doors in my parents' basement bow out so much so that I could literally see outside with the door closed. That's the kind of wind that came. After everything had passed and everything had calmed down, my dad and I kept everybody in the basement. We walked out to check on things. When I walked out, it was the most incredible yellowish tint to the uh, sky I'd ever seen. And laying in the front uh, in the front yard of my parents' house was some insulation. And I turned around to look at my parents' house, expected it was untouched. Not even a shingle was gone from the roof. And I looked down this way, down the street, and I looked down this way and thought, well, man, we escaped the worst of it. And I praised God. And Dad and I walked out to uh, one block over to the next street, and there was not a house standing. I rode my bikes, my bike on through the steep streets of Pleasant Grove most of my life and, to, and knew the city so well. And to be able to walk in my hometown and to not even know where I was at was one of the most shocking experiences of my life. And that city still has not recovered. And as I pastor those people for nine months, I still see the pain of that day that is lived out. As in one day, one day, 22 of its residents died and uh, close to 30% of the houses in that city was destroyed in less than five minutes. Amazing. So I know a little bit about storms, but some of you also know a little bit about storms. But I'm not just talking about the storms that I've described. You know a different kind of storm. It has been said that all of us are either coming out of a storm, we're in a storm, or we'll be going into one soon. And you probably know that's true. That's just kind of the way life is, isn't it? I don't know what 2016 has in store for you. I don't know what has in store for me. But it could just be that we're on the brink of going through some very difficult days ahead. Will we, be, will we be ready for those days? In Matthew 14, let me just give you some context of this passage, passage of Scripture. In this chapter, Jesus had just finished doing something very Baptist-like. He fed people. But not just a little bit, a whole lot of it. And, and 5,000 people, 5,000 men that day, we're fed from very little. You know the story. You're well acquainted. It's the only miracle that's told in all four Gospels. And his popularity was at the height. He was in the midst of his Galilean ministry. He was seeing people come to him. It has been estimated that at one time in Jesus' ministry, over 30,000 people were following him everywhere he went. Can you imagine that for just a moment? Imagine that. And as he finished feeding all these people, if you look at a parallel uh, passage in John 6, we find out that the people after that great meal thought the meal was so great that they wanted to make him king. And there's a group of people that said, man, if he can do that, we ought to just grab him right now by force and take him and put a crown on his head and make him our king. And Jesus knew what they were saying. And because he knew the situation and how terrible of an idea that would be, the Bible says that in the, that in the middle of the night that he grabbed his disciples and said, guys, listen, you may not understand this, but for your benefit, I want you to get in this boat and I'm gonna, I want you to get across this sea and I'll meet you on the other side. And he put him in that boat and I can just see his foot 
just casting them off to the other direction. The Bible says after he did that, that Jesus went to a, a solitary location in the middle of the night and he spent all night praying. That's the context of, of the passage that we're seeing here. Let me give you three lessons this morning that I see from this. Number one, you can follow along your outline in your bulletin. It says this, storms always have purpose. Storms always have a purpose. You know what really strikes me here in this passage? That the Bible tells us that, that he sent the disciples across the lake. Now don't, don't just miss that. That might seem like a minor detail in this story, but it is not a minor detail. As a matter of fact, it is a major detail in this story. You see, Jesus was the one that sent the disciples, listen, in to a storm. How many of you believe that Jesus knew that there was a storm that was coming that night? You believe that? Of course you do. Because He's sovereign. He knows everything. And some of us will say, well, that makes no sense. Why would Jesus send uh, these guys that He loves, that He knows that are going to transform the world with His gospel right in the midst of a very dangerous and tumultuous situation? That seems very ungodlike. Why would He put His people in the middle of danger? But you know what? He did. He's the one that sent them. Now, I recognize that just ruined a lot of your theology. Some of your beliefs about God, some things you maybe held true, may, that may have just blown your mind. But we know that is exactly what happened. Jesus sent them in the midst of a storm. Why would he do that? Here's why. Because you see, in that boat that day, we're not just 12 guys. In the boat that day, we're 12 students. And they were in the seminary of Jesus Christ and he was teaching them, he was growing them, he was leading them to be mighty men of faith, mighty men of God that were going to be world changers and great preachers. And he knew, he knew that one of the best things that, that can happen in someone's life is to go through a difficult time where they have no other choice but to cry out to Jesus Christ to be their help. And it's our times of storm, it's our times of difficulty when the storm hits, when we don't even see it coming, that God grows us and makes us into mighty people, world-changing believers in Jesus Christ. And that's what happened here. Matter of fact, it's very biblical. Jesus' own brother, James, writes in his epistle these words, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be, listen, strong in character and ready for anything. When we go through difficult times, it strengthens our faith. Think about what the disciples were facing that day on the Sea of Galilee. Storms would oftentimes come very quickly from the surrounding mountains in Galilee that surrounded that Sea of Galilee. Imagine that the Sea of Galilee is like a bowl and, and on the tops of that bowl is mountains that surrounds it and those storms would come off those mountains and oftentimes land in the midst of the sea. Storms would come out of nowhere. And keep in mind, these men were not just uh, uh, novices at the sea. They were 
they were uh, fishermen. They had been here many times. They had probably been through many storms in the past, no doubt. But it was something about this storm that made them panic. They literally believed that they would die. We certainly see that within this text. Notice some things about this. First of all, notice in verse 24, the Bible says, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. Look at that. Far away from land. They were in the middle of the sea. They could not even see land probably from where they were at. Everywhere they looked, they saw water. They looked up. They saw storm. They looked around. They saw wind. They were in deep trouble with no hope in a boat that probably wasn't made in fashion for big storms. But also so notice in verse 24, not only were they far away from land, but the storm was, was, was quite tumultuous. The Bible says they were facing strong winds and heavy waves. Not only could they not see land, but my goodness, they were in the midst of a tremendous storm. But notice also the time in which the storm hit around 3 o'clock in the morning, which is about the darkest of night. Can you imagine that? I mean, it would be bad enough it had been 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you could see things, and it was light outside. Can you imagine how frightening that must have been? To not see land, to have everything around you completely going crazy, and in the middle of the night where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It's not like they had mag lights out there, right? I mean, it was the darkest part of night, and they began to panic. The Bible says that the disciples were screaming in terror. It just gives you an idea of the trouble that they were in. How often do you panic when trouble comes your way? You know, when trouble comes, when storms hit, we've got two choices, don't we? One is this. One is that we can just panic. We can scream in terror like these disciples did. We, we can just throw our hands up and, and just think, man, the world is caving in and there's no hope. And we see that all the time happening in our worlds. But we also have a second choice, and that is that we can either panic or we can have peace in the midst of the storm. And you see, the beauty is this. When you know Jesus Christ, when, when you know the peacemaker and the peace giver, when you know the reconciler of the world, when you know the prince of peace, even in the midst of the most tumultuous times in your life, you can stand strong and firm in the peace that you have given that lives and breathes and resides deep within the recesses of your soul. You find out what a believer is made of when his storm hits that person so quickly. Do you panic? Or do you have peace? Disciples, notice the disciples, when the storm hit, they didn't pray. Did you notice that? I mean, you would think guys who were students in the Jesus Christ seminary, you would think that as soon as this happened, that somebody like Peter would say, okay, guys, look, we're, we're in trouble here. We need to call out to Jesus. We've seen that guy raise dead people. I mean, we've seen him turn water into wine. We've seen him heal the lame and the blind and, and make the deaf to hear. I mean, we've seen him do incredible things. We're in trouble here. Let's, let's join hands and drop to our knees and pray right now and do something really spiritual. But you know what? They didn't do that. Matter of fact, the Bible just says they all stood around and went, ah, ah, ah. Right? 
Now, I guess that's spiritual. Huh? That's what they did. They panicked. But notice what happens. The Bible says in verse number 25, some beautiful words when it says, and Jesus came to them. Aren't you thankful today, believer? Aren't you thankful that in the midst of our storms in the darkest part of the night, when you look around and you see no hope and you see no ability to escape, that you can know today that even though you may not call out to His name, that Jesus Christ knows what storm you're in. He understands the the length and breadth and power of that storm. And I'm going to tell you something about this guy right here. I serve a God that doesn't just stand apart from me aloof saying, Good luck with that, pal. But it comes to the midst of my storm, takes me in his arms, and the Prince of Peace embraces me and says, Peace be still. I got this. That's what he did here. Can you imagine that Jesus Christ up there on the mountain pray, praying for these guys, saying, strengthen them, Father, strengthen them, seeing they're in trouble, leaves that mountain, walks on the water for miles in the midst of waves and wind and storm. Only to go to his children where they're in most trouble. Beloved, listen. You may be in a storm right now. You don't see a lot of opportunity to get out of it. And you are really overwhelmed. And maybe there's nobody else in this church that knows that. Maybe even your pastor doesn't know that. But I'm going to tell you something today. I serve a God that will come to you. He'll walk to you. And he'll bring you peace. That's the kind of God that we serve. We often mistake him even then and push the panic button when he comes. That's what they did. They screamed in terror when they saw him. Did you catch that? When they saw him, they screamed in terror. They weren't just screaming because of the waves. They were screaming because they saw him and they thought he was a ghost. Oh, how often do we do sometimes mistake him in the midst of our, our pain? I want you to remember this. The whole time in this story, the very thing that was causing the most stress was under the feet of the Savior the entire time. And the same is true in your life as well. So, first lesson, storms will always have a purpose, and it's to grow you. Second lesson, Jesus is inviting us to do the extraordinary. Notice what happens. This is the most bizarre thing. Because in the midst of all this confusion and difficulty and Where did this come from? Peter. Peter. Impetuous Peter. You never know what that guy's going to do. In the midst of the storm, while everybody's screaming, he goes, ah, hey, I got an idea. And he calls out to Jesus. If that's that's really you, call me to come to you, and I'll come. I know the guy's, ah, what? Did he just say what I think he's, he's out there on water and you're going to go to him? And, and, and don't you love Jesus' response? Three words. All right. Come. Just come on. Sure, Peter, that's a great idea. Come on out. And Peter did. And Peter accomplished something that only one other person has ever accomplished. He walked on water. Say what you want to about Peter, my dear friends, but he did walk on water. I mean, it didn't last very long. 
But for a little while, he was on top of the fishes, right? Why? Because he followed the invitation of Jesus. Jesus said, come. Jesus said, Peter, I want you to come. Come on, man. You can do this. Keep your eyes on me, and I'm going to tell you, you're about to do something extraordinary. And that's exactly what happened. Can I tell you today, Jesus is giving you the same invitation. Jesus is saying to you today, I want you to do something extraordinary. Even in the midst of your storm, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of where things just don't seem like they're going to go the way you want them to go, I want you to do something extraordinary. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. Peter walked. Not long, but he walked. You see, friends, we need faith. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to not lose our focus. We need not to let the storms overwhelm us. And if we do this, we too can follow Jesus and do something extraordinary. What are you doing that's extraordinary for the kingdom of God right now? You say, well, I'm at church. Well, I mean, I'm glad you're at church, particularly knowing who the speaker was going to be today, but that's not really an extraordinary feat, right? What are you doing right now that's extraordinary for the kingdom of God? That may be the best question you're asked all year. If something were to happen to you, what, what ministries would be able to continue on? What ministries would be impacted because you're not there? You see, folks, I want to live in such a way that every morning I say, Lord, look, I'm going out anyway. Let me do something extraordinary for the kingdom. Use me in ways you've, you've never used me before. Today, why not today? Why can't I do that today? Lord, use me today. I, it's so easy just to stand here in this boat. I get it. It's comfortable in the boat. You feel safe in the boat. I can, there's a controlled world right here in the boat, but when I step out of the boat, that's when it gets scary. Can I tell you, I don't want to live my life living in a boat. I don't want to live my life just sitting in a pew, just being comfortable and content. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to one day stand before the Father in heaven and Him go, well, you know, welcome. You, you lived such a small life. Your experience with me was only this. And look what I wanted to do with you. Just look at the lives I want to impact through you. And you impacted nobody's life because every day you just woke up, you grabbed your smartphone, you went about your calendar, you just went about your business, you went to the grocery store, you came on when you went to sleep, and you've impacted nobody for the kingdom of God. Just look what I wanted to do through you. But you will not allow me. Why? Because you stayed in the boat your entire life. You stayed in your pew. Folks, Jesus Christ didn't save you to sit in a pew. He saved you to be a world changer. He didn't save you to stay in the boat. The invitation is, come. Come and let's do something extraordinary. Come and let's partner together. Folks, our world's a mess, amen? And we need some believers to start getting radical. We need some believers to really live out what they believe and do something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. And so goes the church today. One steps out on faith, 11 stay in the boat. I see that happening throughout our convention. 
And it is my heart to do all I can to use every ounce of my life to try to shake the pews a little bit, to get people out of their content, comfortable little boats, pews, zones, and to do something extraordinary for Jesus Christ so that when you get to heaven one day and you meet Jesus, he's going to embrace you and say, well done, wow, look at the lives that were impacted because you were born. That's what you want. That's what I want. That's what he wants for us. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, tells a story of Ruby and Laura. Ruby Ruby had given her life in medical missions among the poor in uh, Cameroon. And Laura, Laura had given her life among the poor as a doctor in India. Uh, Ruby in her 80s, Laura in her 70s are in Cameroon serving God, being faithful, going to the least of these in the name of Jesus Christ where most people their age were living a life of leisure and retirement and going to the lake and the beach and looking for shells or fishing or, or just taking it easy. Here was two elderly ladies who were out there doing extraordinary things. But something happened. One day they were on a supply run in their Jeep and their brakes went out and they went over a side of a cliff and they died. And some would say, well, that's a great tragedy. But John Piper says this, the fact that Jesus Christ took authority to make Ruby and Laura, Laura valiant for love and truth among the poor in Cameroon while most Americans are playing with their, uh, their way into eternity, that is not a tragedy. He took them into eternity in their old age in the very moment of their love and service without long drawn out illness and without protracted oppressive feelings of uselessness. That is no tragedy. Rather than I say, give me that death, O oh Jesus Christ. That is no tragedy. The tragedy is that we have too many believers who are born again and spirit-filled, who know the truth and who know about hell and who know about heaven and don't do anything about it but literally just sit and do nothing. That's the tragedy. And that is not God's will for you. There's an extraordinary invitation this morning, and that is to do something in 2016 that will change your world and rock hell and heaven for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, I'm closing with this third lesson. After the storm, if we follow Christ through it, our intimacy with Him increases. Look at verse 33. I love the way this story ends. Then the disciples worshipped Him and they said, You're truly the Son of God. After all that, after all that, Jesus picks up Peter. They step back in the boat. You can imagine Peter. Oh, 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 oh. And the disciples are just. And Jesus steps in the boat. The winds go. Whoop, and everything's calm. And I can imagine the, the, the day is breaking before them. And everything's starting to light up. And the disciples look at each other. And there's Jesus just as calm and cool as he could be. Looking at them going, guys. Was it really necessary to panic? I've had you the whole time. I knew where you was at. I walked to you. I got this. I can calm a storm. I can handle this. Where's your faith? 
And the Bible says as soon as he stepped in the boat, a worship service broke out. And they worshiped him and said, you know what? You're the son of God. You see, when we go through storms, if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, we'll know more about who he is. And our intimacy with him will grow. It's the difficulties of life that really define who we are and really display who he is and who we know. Storms increase my intimacy with the Savior. He reveals himself to me and I can reveal him to a lost and dying world. I wonder about you this morning. I wonder as 2016 begins, as we end the year next year, what will be said of your year? Have you done, will you do anything extraordinary for the kingdom of God this year besides just be a church member? Nothing wrong with being a church member. I'm so glad you're a church member. I'm so glad you're faithful. I am so thankful for that. That's a wonderful thing. But folks, people aren't going to be saved just because you sit in a pew all the time. We're saved to serve. We're saved not to be content and comfortable, but to be dangerous with the gospel. To go out into a world reckless for Christ doing something that will change people's lives. This afternoon, I'm meeting with a guy named D. Franks. D. came down the aisle at First Baptist Pleasant Grove about seven weeks ago and gave his heart to Jesus. I led him to the Lord right at the, right at the front of the church. He began to tell me his story. D. had, uh, has, had served in prison for many years for drug possession. He had had a child out of wedlock, his he had been through divorces. His life was an utter mess. And here's what D. Frank said to me that day. He walked to the aisle and he grabbed me. He said, he said, Brother Kevin, I need to be saved. Listen to this. Here's what he said. My way's not working. Let the Lord. Today I want to meet with him. I'm discipling him. We're meeting every Sunday afternoon. I'm just pouring Christ into him. We need people to go out there and reach the D. Franks of the world because they need Christ. Take what you've given here and go out with the gospel. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? I want to ask you today, do you know Christ as your Savior? Has there ever been a time in your life that you've truly been born again? That you have met the master of the sea? That you know the peace giver personally, intimately, and well? Have you ever been saved before? If not, I would invite you to come. Your life may not be as messed up as these. But you know, lost is lost. And today, you might just want to come to, to Brother Chris and say, Brother Chris, Chris, I need to be saved. I've never really known Jesus, and my life's a mess right now. And I mean, I'm just in a panic mode, and, and it's probably because I don't know the master of the sea. I don't know the peace giver. Friends, he's walking to your life today. He's walking to you, and he's saying to you the same invitation he said to Peter, Come, just come on, take a step. I'll change your life. You and I will do extraordinary things together. And boy, wasn't that true of Peter? He went on to preach on the Pentecost day and 3,000 people were saved because of this guy. You know what? He wants to do the same with you. Some of you need to be saved today. Others, Mother's Day, you might just want to come to the altar and just say, Lord, I'm going through a storm. I, I want to find you in that storm and grow through that storm, God, and just give it to you because you've got me and I've got you. Help me through it. Help me, Father.
Others, you might just be so tired of just living a content and mundane life where you're making no impact for the kingdom of God. God doesn't want you to live a life like that. He doesn't want you to live a small life. He wants you to live a big, loud life. It's going to shout the name of Jesus to a lost and dying world and show people the way to heaven. That's the kind of life he wants you to live. You might just want to come and say, Pastor Chris, this is the kind of life I want to live. Help me. Help me to step out of my boat and go to where Jesus is. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we'll stand. We'll begin our time of invitation. Your pastor will be standing right here in his rightful place. Would you come? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the privilege of preaching this morning. God, I've done the very best I can do. I've laid it all on the line. I've told you, I've told them exactly what you've told to me. I pray right now the Holy Spirit of God would just overwhelm us today and that you would just draw people to yourself. You said if, if, if you be lifted up, you'll draw people in. Do that right now, Jesus. Do that right now in this place. In this moment, I pray for that one day that know you. I pray for those who are going through storms. I pray for those who are living very small lives. Oh, Lord, transform them today in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And for your sake, amen. Would you stand with us today?